0: Does a massive entertainment franchise have a connection to one of the worst crimes possible? And then we continue Halloween month with the spooky tale of the Ellen Austin. When this ship set sail from London to New York in 1880, it was supposed to be a routine journey. And the journey was normal until they ran into a ship that devoured all hope. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a lot of stuff to cover today, so we're going to get started with the Patreon. I got a new Patreon just this morning, Matthew McKenzie. Matthew McKenzie, Matthew McKenzie, hit me up right as I was getting ready to record this episode. I really appreciate the support, Matthew. I appreciate the support from all you guys. It really, really means a lot. It means a lot. You guys remember Spuds McKenzie? You remember that? Did he talk, or was it just a dog with spots? I don't know how old you are, Matthew, but if you were my age, you probably would have gotten called spuds in school. But anyways, let's go ahead and move on with our first story of the day. So for our first story, we're going to go to Canada. Put on your parkas and your hiking boots. We're walking there. We're just going to go on a big old nature hike. We're going to be chasing butterflies and, like, punching squirrels, collecting cactus, and then taking it back to the desert. shouldn't have been in the forest, dude stay where you belong Mr. Cactus and as we move through the forest why are we in the forest we're okay we walk along the highways the point is is that we get to Toronto so we go into Toronto we're catching the sights we're putting cactuses down in funny places putting them under park under park benches that's not funny no one's gonna sit on a cactus under a park bench we're putting them where we're putting them in locker rooms so why are we doing anything with the point is is that we're in Toronto Canada okay. And so we're in Toronto to meet the law enforcement officers of the child exploitation section. So this story's a little rough, guys. But anyways, it has a weird twist to it. And as we're walking around, we're hey, oi, matey, I'm from Canada. Thank you. I'm shaking your hands, guys. And then the cop leads us away, not to a jail cell, leads us to give us a tour of his facility. And we're looking around and we're like, oh, you know, it's mostly computers because they have to deal with a lot of horrible stuff on the internet. But you go into one room and there's a giant poster. And it's a picture of the original cast of the Star Trek television show. So Kirk, Spock, Bones, Uhura, Scotty, and the Russian dude, Vlad. And so we go, hey, that's kind of weird. Like, why do you have... Oh, oh, (laughs) I didn't finish describing the poster. So it's not just a poster of the Star Trek crew. That would just be kind of out of place. For the child exploitation section, they're like, oh, we're huge fans. No, I didn't finish describing the poster. The poster then has the faces of each cast member replaced with a photograph of the officers working in the child exploitation section. So this actually happened. There was a reporter who was covering this group, saw the poster and goes, why do you have that? Like, why, why is that poster there with your faces on those people? And the cop goes, you know, this is really... W- this was huge news when this came out. I don't remember how many of you people were like... I remember this being really big news. Now, this happened back in 2005, so... Like, the nerd sphere of the internet wasn't super, like, entrenched. You don't, you didn't have, like, Gizmodo or, you know, like, all those other websites that are just fueled by geek culture. That's all they do. It's, like, 24-7 about Dick Grayson is dead or something like that. Like, I get these alerts all the time because once I clicked on a link and now they think that I always want to know about what's happening in Batman comic books. Which, to be fair, I do. I do. But I get stuff for all sorts of stupid geek nonsense. Game of Thrones and those bobblehead toys. I don't... What? I've never bought one of those. Why am I getting alerts that there's a new one of those? Anyways, geek culture 24-7. So this was before all that. So it kind of popped up in traditional newspapers. It was a bit online and then it kind of died. And then it popped back up a little bit later. But let me... I'm building it up. So what happened was the law enforcement officer goes, it's really weird. Like, we've... We've kicked down the doors of a lot of child molesters and child pornographers to be specific. We've arrested over a hundred offenders in four years, and only one of them did not have a bunch of Star Trek the original series merchandise all over their house and, and the reporter's like, "What?" And the dude's like, I, it's weird. It, trust me, it's weird and I can't figure out why it is, but it's not the next generation." It's none of the other series. It's the original series, and there'll be like toys and, and posters and stuff like that. It's such a bizarre connection, but it's there. We don't know what causes it. One of the quotes was, this was Detective Constable Warren Bulmer. It has something to do with a fantasy world where mutants have power and where the usual rules don't apply. But beyond that, I can't really explain it. And that doesn't, that's not kind of not a good description of Star Trek. I have my own theories of what could cause it, but one of the this was from the Huffington Post article I read about it. They said the characters in Star Trek as as sexual as like Captain Kirk is, he never forms real connections with any of the adults around him. Like he has a connection with Spock and Bones, but are, like a romantic relationship. It only lasts an episode and then he's gone. There's no long-term relationship goal for him. And they said that appeals to a pedophile. They're not looking for a long-term goal. They're looking for a short- term fix. And they're seeing people who's just moving from conquest to conquest to conquest. They also said the show is fairly sexually sterile as well. There's a lot of like shirt ripping and kind of making out, but there's not a lot of like real sexuality in it. I mean, the show was from 1960s. What do you expect? Another thing was that any sort of fantasy world has generally a world with no rules, where there's no boundaries, where people are kind of making things up as they go. And as a reader, you're going on this journey where you know the next episode, there is a brand new thing happening. So there's no rules. There's nothing going on. But the thing is, is that because people go, well, did they find other fantasy stuff there? Was there other sci-fi stuff? Because people started asking after this article came out, originally came out in the L.A. Times back in 2005. Got a lot of phone calls to this section. And at first they started saying, well, I was kind of misquoted, but it's true. Like, yes, I didn't say exactly what I said, but... It, there is a connection. And so that caused even more phone calls. And, and you like, oh, well, what about Battlestar Galactic? What about this? And they said, listen, we don't know why this is. We have no idea. And yes, you would go to a house where they would have a bunch of Tron action figures, but they would still have the Star Trek stuff. Like that was the one constant across all things. It really is a bizarre connection. What is there? The first thing is, is there a connection between the two? 100... Arrest. Only one person wasn't a Star Trek fan. That seems a little like that seems like a cl- connection. And what's interesting, and you will see these things with people in crime. There's an interest. I had. I read this book called The Collector. And if you were a serial killer in the 70s or 80s, if cops were like doing a case and they're like, "Oh, this guy's killed three women," da 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 da, they're on the hunt for these serial killers. They would turn to their partner and go, "What do you want to bet? He has a copy of The Collector." Uh, other officers like, I'm not taking that bet, because every serial killer has a copy of The Collector, and, and that was another common theme, you would run into these serial killers, you'd finally break their door down with a sledgehammer, put a gun to the back of their head, and they're under arrest, and then when you're combing the scene for evidence, you find a copy of the book The Collector, The Collector, so of course, I was like, I gotta read this book, I had read a lot of true crime novels that talked about The Collector, it being in someone's collection, and so I went and got the book and it's, I, I recommend reading it. It's a really fascinating book. It's a story of a man who kidnaps a woman. He's a butterfly collector. And then he wants to collect a woman. So he kidnaps this woman and puts her in his basement. This came out like in like, mid-70s, maybe late 60s. Kidnaps a woman, puts her in the basement. And the book is broken up into two parts. The first part is the killer trying to... Bre- it's a first-person narrative. The killer trying to break the woman. The second part is a first-person narrative. From her point of view how she's dealing with being, quote-unquote, broken. It's a fascinating book. And I can almost guarantee anyone who reads that book and then inspires to become a serial killer doesn't finish the book. Because the second part is extremely powerful. Because you read the first book and you're like, whoa, what a, what a horrible situation this woman's in. You're reading the second part and you're like, whoa, what a horrible situation this woman's in. But all of the stuff that she's going through and the tricks she's playing and the mental... is really, really good book. It's like 90 pages long. I would check out The Collector, but... Let's go ahead and actually move on to my Dead Rabbit. That was my book recommendation. I want to do 31 Dead Rabbit recommends this month. I want to give you something to watch each spooky day of spooky, spooky Halloween. Today's movie that I want to talk about very briefly, actually was recommended to me by Carson. He's a listener of the show. He supports the Patreon as well. He's a friend of mine in real life. I should have said that first. A young starlet, she's not even a starlet, a young woman is in LA. She wants to be a star, more than anything. She wants to make it in Hollywood. She's living in a house with like five of her friends. They're all young, beautiful people. And she just can't land the right role. No matter what she does, she just can't get a break. Until she meets a casting director and everything spins out of control. The movie's called Starry Eyes. Now, right there, you're like, what is this? Are you recommending me to watch some drama? This movie is about Illuminati, Satan worshippers controlling the movie industry, dark forces behind your favorite actors. It's a really, really good horror movie. Again, fairly low budget. It looks beautiful. It's beautifully shot. Fairly low budget. Messes with your head a couple times. You, You start to wonder, is she really hallucinating all this stuff and she's gotten too far into the internet and believes all these stupid conspiracy theories or are these things actually going on starry eyes that's my recommendation for today check it out really really good movie okay let's go ahead and move on to our next story just like how i want to have a dead rabbit recommends every day i want to have a one spooky story for you every day the pedophile story is just disgusting but this story is actually spooky So we're leaving Toronto. We walk to the ocean and then we just walk into the water. And now I'm swimming in my scuba set. Oh, you don't have your dead rabbit licensed scuba set? Sorry, bro. And you're like splashing around. I'm like, ah, fine. I go swim back. We're going to share my oxygen tank. I'm going to take a couple extra breaths though. I'm going to be like, "Ah." then I'll give it to you. And you go, "Ah." and I just take it back. and go, "Ah." because you know, I got to survive longer, right? So anyways, we're swimming in our dead rabbit diving suit, dead rabbit diving suit. I don't think you want to name a diving suit after dying. I don't think you want to name any of our vehicles after stuff like a dead rabbit dirigible. You don't want the word dead in your vehicle. But anyways, dead rabbit dead rabbit diving bell. Isn't that like that giant? We're not even underwater in this story. Okay, so anyways, we get onto the dead rabbit rowboat. We'll, we'll help you on board. I don't know why we're going deeper into the ocean. Dead rabbit rowboat. We're rowing to the year 1856. But we're just rowing to New York. So we're just kind of doing a loop. And we go into New York City. We grab a newspaper. We're reading this article. This was printed in 1856. This was in the New York Tribune. This was printed in the February 19th edition of New York Tribune, 1857. We're reading this article, right? And there, we tells a story about this boat called the Ellen Austin. And this guy says, okay, here's what happened. I worked on the Ellen Austin, and I slept past the the breakfast." bell the morning meal bell and the crew member slept past it eventually someone goes hey matey why are you sleeping and he goes what i didn't even hear the bell he gets dragged out of bed and taken to the captain's quarters and the captain's standing there and he's like so i heard you slept past the morning meal bell he's like i did but i mean like is that a big deal and he's like yeah that's a big deal (laughs) on my boat they throw a blanket over his head so no one can hear him scream, begin hitting him with a giant metal rope, and then the captain goes, sick'em, boys, and attack dogs, attack this guy, on a boat, and bite his legs up. He's like, oh, next time I'll hear the bell, I promise, Ah!" and they just bite his legs up. captain's like, good, as you can see on my boat, the punishment fits the crime. You may go, and he's like, uh, he hobbles out of the ship, and then he's instructed to show all the other crew members his legs. Now, it's 1856 this isn't 1492 one there are passengers on this boat this boat the ellen austin was called a packet ship so it would have a regular route it would go from london to new york london to new york and it would move passengers material mail stuff like that so other people are like oh man that was a really good prefix i really i mean that was a really good morning meal sorry jason and I really like those eggs. And then you see some guy with like bloody legs come out and goes, This is what <laughs> happens when you don't come to the morning meal bell. 12 days later, okay, this same dude is jumping down off of like a mast or something. He's like, Woohoo! He's like oh, playing Errol Flynn. He's jumping off of this mast and he lands on the boatswain's foot and falls down. And the boatswain goes to the captain and says, I was just doing my boatswaining. And this guy. Jumped on top of me and hurt me. The captain goes, bring him to me. So the dude hobbles in. Legs are all still messed up. Captain goes, so I heard you attack this guy. He's like, I didn't attack this guy. Get the carpet. So they throw a carpet over him, beat him with the wire again. He end up like bashing up his head. And then the captain goes, sick em, boys. And he gets attacked by dogs again. Eventually, the boat docks in New York. He jumps out. Not literally, he has to crawl out. He said after this, the only job he could do was steering the boat. That's because he he couldn't move. And he reports a story. And and the Ellen Austin, there's this quote from the New York Times. It says, The officers of the Ellen Austin have a very unenviable notoriety for alleged cruelty to their men. And that the vessel has scarcely ever entered port without complaints being made in our police courts against them for cruel and inhuman treatment. Ugh. And people still worked for this boat and rode it. Because they're like, oh, I really need to get back to London. (laughs) So, And you think, okay, it's the crews getting attacked by dogs. 1859, this passenger lands in New York and says, you won't believe what happened to me. And they're like, let me guess, you're on the Ellen Austin Passengers. Like, how did you know? So this passenger, not a crew member, is on the boat. Some officers on the boat, they tie his arms and his legs down. So basically they rope him up. And then they began, quote, rolling him along the deck like a bale of goods. A passenger. They just rope up and they're like, wee, They're playing shuffleboard with a live human being on the boat. And then they just untie him and he goes and complains. So the reason why I'm telling you that stuff is, one, the Ellen Austin had a long history of just bizarre and cruel behavior. And two, because the comings and goings of the Ellen Austin are actually very, very detailed. Lloyd's of London had to insure all these goods, so we know when the boat was leaving London ahead of New York and vice versa. So every time this ship docked, there's a record of it. And every time the ship docked, someone jumped off and said, hey, I was just on that boat. And they punched me in both eyes and had dogs chase me around for like 10 minutes. That's what makes this following story even more intriguing. December 5th, 1880. The Ellen Austin leaves London, headed towards New York like it normally does. At this time, it's being captained by A.J. Griffin, who's a different captain than the dude who was doing all that stuff. But it still had a really bad reputation as far as a boat goes. Like People still didn't really like working on the boat. They had to pay people more. December 5th, 1880, it leaves London. And as they're coming across the ocean, they see an unidentified schooner, 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 boat. It's another boat. They see another boat. Drifting listlessly in the sea in front of them. And they go, pirates. That ship doesn't look damaged at all. Has to be a trap. So the captain ordered that the Ellen Austin just kind of keep distance for a while and watch it. For two days, they watched this boat. No sign of life on board. Just drifting there. After two days, the captain goes, okay, let's go and see what's going on with this boat. So they come up alongside the boat. Put down their gangplank. I don't know if that's what it's called. And they walk over. Actually, no, they didn't do that. They got on a rowboat. Now, remember, and they rowed over to it. And they start inspecting it. No crew, no bodies, no sign of violence. The captain's log was missing. The nameplates off the bow were missing. But inside the hold was a giant shipment of mahogany. So at that point, the captain's eyes are like... a. He's like, the ship alone is worth a lot of salvage. But this mahogany, this is worth so much money. Salvage rights. we got to get this ship. He says, let's get my best crew over to that ship. And we're going to take them both to New York. One of the articles, I got a lot of this information from an awesome website called Something Interesting. And they said, to be fair, it probably, the best crew would still be on the Ellen Austin. So it was probably his B team. But still, you got a good crew over there. Send some people over there. And they're just going to take both ships back. And for about two days, both ships are sailing. Everything's fine. And then out of nowhere, which is really how everything happens in the ocean, massive storm hits. Boats are getting tossed around. Their human shuffleboard game gets interrupted. They're like, oh, no, we have to go inside. The dude's like, are you going to untie me? Are you going to untie me? Captain's like, sicken boys. Dogs are all on, tying the ropes. Passenger goes back. Storm lasts for two days. So there's no communication between the ships at that time. But after two days, storm clears. The other ship is gone. They don't see it anywhere. They're like, did they get... They must have got blown away by the storm. It'll come back. But they go, we gotta find that ship. We gotta find our crew. We gotta find all that sweet, sweet mahogany. And so... And they're doing this search for a while. And then eventually they see like right over by the horizon, the tip of the ship. And they're like, there they are. It takes them eight hours to, now that they found them, it takes them eight hours to get to the boat. And when they get there, it's just drifting. <laughs> Captain's like, "Uh, okay, who wants a volunteer to go on board this time? But they do need to go on board. They need to find out what happened. They need to find out if their crewmen are okay. So they hop in a blue rowboat, row over, climb on board. Ship's completely empty. The bunk beds haven't even been slept in. The captain's log that was put there to replace the one that was missing is now also gone. But it's still full of that sweet mahogany wood. So, captain's like, we gotta get a new crew over here. The crew, <laughs> nobody wanted to do it. They go, that ship's cursed. He's like, we need that stuff. This ship is salvageable. We can do this. Took him quite a few hours to convince another crew to go over there. And he said, Tell you what, you guys can bring whatever you want. Bring your weapons. Bring that dude over. He plays a little shuffleboard. Totally cool. What you need, whatever you need to feel safe, you can go over. And also he must have promised them a lot of money because eventually he did get another crew of people to go over there. Which at this point we're probably at his C team. We're not definitely not the best of the best. So this other crew goes over there. And the captain says, we will stay within 10 boat lengths of you. We're not going to lose sight of you. We're not going to be popping wheelies. We're not going to be doing anything fun. We're going to take two boats. We're just going to sail them straight. We'll be right behind you. And the other guys are like, fine. Day passes. No storm. Another day passes. No storm. And then one day when the sea is perfectly calm. Because they're over this place called the Sargosa Sea. It's in the Atlantic Ocean. Where the seaweed is so thick, the water, the wind doesn't make the water break. It's just a flat area. They said the only breaks that you see in the water of the Sargosa Sea is derelict ships. Because a ship will sink there and there's no like current or anything to move it away, so it just sits there. It's just this graveyard of boats. But you gotta go through it. You're leaving from London to New York, New York to London. So they're within 10 boat lengths, the sea is perfectly calm, and then. Thick as pea soup, Captain. Arr, I see that, matey. Apparently, it's pirate day on my ship. Let's talk like normal humans. (laughs) We're not pirates. I forgot that for a second. Thick fog moves in. And neither ship can see each other at this point. Just everyone on the Ellen Austin's very, very nervous at this point. But eventually... The thick fog dissipates. And the guy working the lookout for the Ellen Austin goes, She's gone, Captain. And all around them is just calm sea. The boat was never seen again. Now, this story was reported in 1906. It was reported, the first time it was reported was in 1906 in the Daily Deadwood Pioneer Times. Tell me that doesn't sound like a rootin' tootin' newspaper. It comes with like bullet holes shot through each issue. But really, that story had been going around for the previous 15 years from sailor to sailor. It was already an old story that sailors told each other about the Ellen Austin. The ship was very famous for its infamous activities. and So sailors knew the name of the boat. But they would tell this story about this missing ship that swallowed up two crews. It was... After that article in the newspaper, and that was a newspaper, after that article, it would come in and out. It was published in a couple of other accounts, and then it was really made famous in the 1940s. There was a radio show that was like Weird News. It was like the original Art Bell from the 1940s, so you imagine like ragtime music or jazz music or whatever garbage they listened to back then. And a dude named Lieutenant Colonel Rupert T. Gold, we talk about Weird News, he told this story on his radio show too, and that made it extremely popular at the time. That whole time period from after the boat docked in 1881. Because, see, we have the records. I'll get to that in a second. But after the boat docked in 1881 till really, today, I'm sure sailors still talk about this story. But definitely, they were talking about it long before it became part of the public consciousness. So, there's a lot of interesting facts to this story. And there's some myths. Obviously, one of the biggest, the first thing you want to know is we have all these documents about this boat. Are there any reports of crew missing from this boat during that journey? No, there aren't. If you have a boat and people die in your boat, you have to list it. Lost Sea, you have to list it. It's all for insurance purposes. But we do know that the boat left on December 5th, 1880. And it arrived in New York on February 11th, 1881. Which is apparently back then an unusually long amount of time. It shouldn't have taken that long for that boat to reach New York. So the idea is, is, the boat was delayed in some way, not just a storm, not just a two or three day storm, but the conclusion is, is that if a boat was constantly chasing another boat, trying to find it, then that could take a while. Because you say, well, it was just eight hours for them to go from where they were out to find the boat the second time. Well, they took two days off to wait for the boat and it took them a good period of time to even see the boat off the horizon The first time it disappeared. It took them eight hours to get over there, but it took them a while. They were just sailing around hoping to find it. So the idea is, is the reason why the journey took longer is because of that. Why there are no casualties listed in this report? If I think about four men were sent over each time, four to six men were sent over each time. If you lost eight to 12 dudes, why isn't that reported? A little bit of a hole in the story. Also, as the story kept getting reported later on, when the radio show popped up, he changed the name of the captain. And he changed, but was renamed from the Ellen Austin to the Meta. And on the radio show, he kept talking about the Meta. And people think that was just a research error. Because before the radio show, it was always known as the Ellen Austin during the story. So there are some discrepancies. Some people say it was on its way to Newfoundland. So there are some discrepancies. But when you look at the very first reported incident of it, a little news article in the Daily Deadwood Pioneer Times, it matches... Pretty much all the details that we know today. They've, they've said, oh, the radio show kind of made some mistakes. but This is one of those stories that is almost too good to be true. But when you deal with paranormal stuff, you run into that all the time. We've had alien invaders making kids disappear. And we've had all sorts of Mormon Bigfoots. We've had all sorts of bizarre stuff over the course of the show that we've come across stuff that's just so wacky and fun to look at that you want it to be true more than anything. And this, to me, is one of those stories. So that's the story of Ellen Austin. You know, I read a lot of stuff about ghost ships, and mostly it's just like, oh, there's a boat that's abandoned, or there's a boat that appears, it's a literal ghost ship, it just kind of floats around and then disappears. But I don't think I've ever come across one that's eaten two crews. Well, three, basically, because it ate the first crew as well, if the story's true. They find a boat, everyone's gone, you put another crew on it, they disappear. You put another crew on it, and the boat disappears. It's funny because we always think of ghost ships as, like, a derelict, a mystery. That's Like, why did these people leave the boat? Or, like I said, a literal ghost ship. But what if, in this case, it's a cryptid? It's a life form that's a perfect mimic. It adapted to a way to get people onto it. Now, you're saying, Jason, that's kind of ridiculous. Evolutionary, why would it evolve to eat people... And then mimic to become a wooden boat so people would get on it. There's a bunch of other stuff. Does the does the cryptid not like logbooks? Is it is it like vulnerable to paper and leather, so it has to just throw those out? But I mean, what we I think we always try to say like this is a ghost ship, this is a Bigfoot, this is that. But why can't there be some intersection between those things? Are there ghost cryptids? Are there ghosts of Mothman? Are there aliens? who are also cult leaders? And are there ghost ships that are actually living creatures that feed off of us? If that is true, it would have to change its hunting techniques as our boats changed. So if you're ever offered a free ride on a Carnival Cruise Line, you might want to think about it. Because you don't know if you're actually getting on the funnest boat experience of your life, this episode sponsored by Carnival Cruise Lines, or you're walking into the belly of a beast that will disappear and you will become nothing but a footnote in stories of those lost at sea. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash Radio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio.